Issue 5, Live and Proof Magazine, available now on our Patreon and online shop, featuring Vifer, Martin Wong, OJFYC, Peter Sutherland, Dylan Krauss, Atticus Torre, Stanislava Kovalsikova, and Chris Lloyd, with forwards by Leo Fitzpatrick and Avi Gold. Issue 5 will be sent to Patreon members on the Live and Proof Magazine tier. Immense thank you, and enjoy the episode. <laughs> uh yo thank you so much for coming to the show super appreciative and i'm super hyped so i guess one of the first things i wanted to talk about was that i was doing some lurking on your instagram rather deeply and i saw that there's like a bunch of things that you have written on there that in my opinion are pretty interesting in terms of like from a gratitude perspective you have a lot of gratitude for kind of like random things that would be common, like water, skate tools, sketchbooks, old juicers that still work. And uh, something I actually think a lot about is how things that are common become, you know, underappreciative, uh, undervalued. You don't really notice them. Like we have water every single day. And although I yeah. need to stay alive, when I get a cup of water, I'm not like, thank fucking God. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, it's water. Who cares? Like I have it 24-7 whenever I want. Um so my question was, where did this come from, this uh, style of gratitude? Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. And uh, I, uh, I guess I'm, I'm proud of uh, thinking that way, the, some of the examples that you read on, on my Instagram. I think because, um, well, first of all, I have 13 siblings. We grew up very blue-collar. My father worked the same job for 37 years, but I feel some sort of deep connection to my grandfather, who's from Norway, and he was very talent, a very talented woodworker. And then my father also inherited that skill. Uh, and so growing up in the 80s with not a lot of money for modern uh current sweets and snacks and not enough money for my parents to desire buying a vcr uh or with the with the amount of siblings and with the amount of children they had not taking us to the movie theater very often so uh my mother could see that i like to draw and she realized that kept me occupied and happy but um so i think from a young age i enjoyed sitting at the table and drawing and writing um because my father was very talented at painting sketching and also did some drafting in school so uh i guess a lot of times i I can't help it. It's just in my spirit to think about this planet before we had cars, industrial revolution. And I often think about Roman times and the people that first made plumbing systems. So my mind often goes back to, um, you know, what life was like thousands of years ago, mm -hmm. you know, and going to a brook 
or, you know, a clear water lake and being able to get water from that. I think about that a lot, even though we live in such this extreme time of technology and petro, so to speak. Uh, so even and then especially during the pandemic, you know, you you think about what we do have, like you said, a water faucet that just turns on and water comes out. And so I don't try to force people to think about that, but I'm, I'm just so aware of it to the, to the extent that, um, when I had a therapist, I would talk a lot about that. You know, I I would talk to him a lot about feeling like this 2000 year old guy living in 2018, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I think a lot of us should remember if, if, you know, a lot of us should remember how fortunate we are to when so many people on this planet don't have access to medicine and running water and the sewage system, you know, that's sanitary and food and all medicine. Yeah. So many basic needs. I mean, we are so fortunate in this Western culture to have access. No, it really is. And it's, it's super easy to forget because Mm. every single person we know, even like, even a lot of the poorer people in America have so many things that people who are really poor in other parts of the world really don't have. Yeah. And it's like you really start to forget that we really do live in a small corner of the world that has pretty much everything. Because um, most of the world like is, is impoverished, living off of like less than a dollar a day, some stuff like that. We were just talking about um, like some of our family or extended family who's from Ecuador who like they'll appreciate anything. And they won't complain about anything. And I, even even myself, like I try to be mindful. I try to be grateful. But it is difficult um, to just, it's so easy to overlook all the shit that we have. Even just like air conditioning or having a home, you know, during a storm. It's super easy to overlook that stuff. But when you really stop to sit and you really stop to look at it, it makes you, I think, at least for me, enjoy life more because you really realize Absolutely. like, yo, I have so many things to be hyped on. Absolutely. Um, it's like a really, really good practice. So I think that you putting that on Instagram, uh, you know, it's something that's, it's like spreads joy and positivity. Yeah. Uh, and I understand fame and people that choose to put a picture of their newest car or their Rolex. I mean, you know, that's part of the society we live in. So, um, I understand why we've gotten to that point. Uh, I don't feel better than the next person who chooses to uh, display that. But um, yeah, maybe me thinking the way I think is a reminder to people to kind of reel it in a little bit, so to speak, and you know, come back down to the basics of human needs mm. and human appreciation and appreciation of this earth. Mm. And I don't want like to be a hypocrite because I travel on airplanes. I ride a skateboard with urethane wheels that if they're not recycled and dwindled down, they'll be in a landfill, you know, and um, we'll get to my alcoholism. But I think that's part of the reason over the years I drank so much because I'm very sensitive. I know I'm a very strong person. Uh, I'm a white six foot four man. I feel fairly comfortable walking down the street in bad neighborhoods and in, in tough situations. So in that regard, yeah, I, I, I'm very lucky, you know, but, um, you know, it, it's important to, to remember how 
much people don't have in other parts of the world and on this planet to this day. So I like to feel uh, the the happiness that comes with everything I've achieved from my skateboarding. And I love to give back. Mm. And I'm not just, that's a very common saying, giving back, but it's very simple Mm -hmm. to me. Uh, I've always been that way. Once I started getting free products and wheels and boards, I like to give the used stuff. So that's going back to, you know, recycling and, you know, being aware of what you own and what, what you're using that, that, that's not recyclable, Mm -hmm. recyclable, (laughs) lovable. Um, (laughs) so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't go in circles necessarily there, but I was just trying to touch on, yeah, I do get on airplanes, yeah. you know, that are using petrol. And it's, you know, um, we need to reduce plastic. I mean, you know, when, when I stop and think about every single supermarket that exists on this planet, my mind just starts exploding and I have to calm myself down because it's kind of disturbing. How much have you looked into like environmentalism and, and stuff like the, the, the use of plastic and how long that shit's going to stay on this planet for and all that stuff? You are listening to Living Proof Radio, a radio show and magazine supported by Art Primo, a graffiti shop like no other that has been proudly serving the community from New York to Seattle and beyond. Mops, ink, paint, sketchbooks, markers, and much, much more. Artprimo.com. The highest level. Um, I've not, I have not looked deep into numbers of how long certain plastics are going to stay here. I will still go into a bodega when I'm hot, sweaty, and skating and buy a Gatorade. And the other day I bought one and the, the bottle was so thick. And I'm like, should I, shouldn't I, should I? And, um, and yeah, so guilty is charged. Sometimes I'll still buy one. And, and every single time I think it makes me, uh, that much more aware that I shouldn't just shouldn't be buying those anymore. Even I don't know. We don't know where things are recycled actually. I mean, we could research it of course, but I like to think glass is a little bit better. At mm-hmm. least maybe you can break it down into sand and particles. Whereas this plastic, if it's broken down, maybe we can make other th- objects with it to reuse, you know, maybe, you know, we can t- chop this plastic up if you will and recycle it and put it back into maybe a prosthetic leg for somebody, you know, that's the first thing that popped in my mind. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, You know, we as the human race uh, become more and more aware and make better choices in regards to what materials we use to package the food items and the products we all love to devour in our pop culture. No, it's, it's crazy. It's so hard because pretty much anything you do, the more you look into it, the more you look into it, the more you realize that you can't escape this chain of, of, I guess, like consumeristic insanity where everything that you buy, you feel like you're supporting some sort of evil um, you feel like you're some supporting some sort of uh, like non-lasting system that can't really keep going the way that it's going. But that's kind of where like I feel like you have to accept that this is the world that we live in. Yes. And although you can do your best, there's always there's no like perfect solution um, at the level that we're at unless we go back to like, you know, like 
like hunter gatherer times where we're just foraging in the woods, mm-hmm. but that comes with its own set of its own problems and stuff. And one thing I saw again on your Instagram was you talking about how when you get on the subway, you, you bring socks, you bring health bars and you like to give them out to people. And even if they don't, you know, you never know what state people are in, but even if they don't want them, like just you offering it could make a difference. And I think that that's something that is super crucial because like you said, giving back is like, it's like a, I guess a buzzword now. It's like a phrase that people sure. like to say. But and it's not corny. It, I'm, I'm just, you know, but I know, yeah. Exactly. Like, uh, I think it's um, something that anyone can do, mm-hmm. but we don't do it because maybe we think that it won't make a difference. Maybe that one thing, but it might make, might, might not make a difference for like the population as a whole, but for an individual, it might make an actual serious difference. And that's pretty significant, like for one individual, you know what I mean? So what do you think about... um? When you walk through and you're going through Penn Station and you're going through like the New Jersey Transit or just even like on the 7 train and you see some of the people who are way less fortunate or some people who have severe mental illness with literally no one to give a shit about them, which is why they're there. They don't have a family member to be on their couch or something. What do you think about the state of our world and the state of New York? I think there are so many solutions obviously that need to be further accomplished and researched in regards to housing and putting human beings in a safe place where they can be evaluated and you know let them know that they are cared about you know Oftentimes, yeah, so in the state of New York, I mean, the city of New York City, the state of New York, our country, I mean, you know, I saw in in during the pandemic in San Francisco, for example, and they t- turned a lot of hotel rooms in, in, and opened them up to homeless people, you know, and addicts and veterans. And the more we talk about it, the more awareness there's going to be, obviously. Um but I'm not extremely read up on all of the possibilities in a city like New York. Um, and I'm very grateful and thankful for the people that that is what they specialize in. So I do think about it a lot and I try to put energy and positive thinking into that because there's only so much you can do on a daily basis with what you're directly involved in. Um, being that I'm in skateboarding, um, I'm directly involved in trying to be a positive role model the best I can to the young skaters around me who I see in person on an almost daily basis at the skate parks, on the subway, on the subway platform, walking through the city. So, you know, I uh, commend people that specialize in finding resolutions and, and answers to homeless and mental health people that are living on the streets. Um, it's really tough, obviously, you know, I saw an example last summer of a gentleman who approached someone sleeping, uh, near the public library and he took his jacket off to cover the man who was passed out or sleeping. And the guy stood up and punched him in the face, you know, and said, you know, flipped out on him, told him, you know, get the hell away from me. And, and, you know, the guy fell to the sidewalk ground you know and he thought he was doing the right thing by putting a jacket over this man this man was from ohio i think and somehow got to new york city to you know see if he could get 
more money panhandling here than he could in wherever he was from in Ohio. And he had, you know, mental health issues and issues with alcohol and drugs. So he was passed out. And so, yeah, it's really, really difficult. Obviously we we've, I mean, my parents had 14 children and I'm not being funny about this, but we've, we've had a lot of human beings. We, we keep, you know, we, there's more and more people on this planet than there were 20 years ago, mm -hmm. 40 years ago, a hundred years ago. So we have to come up with solutions. Obviously the more humans that there are here on this planet, the more people are going to have, um, issues. I don't want to say problems, issues that we need to, of course, uh, uh, address, protect, correct, help with, you know, uh, so I do put a lot of like thought um, and I support a lot of my friends that go to protests and, you know, um, but that's also, you know, you, you can't do every single thing. Like you were saying, you, we, we can't, you know, we can't change how much plastic we, we touch and purchase every day. So in regards to the homeless problem or, you know, the, homeless epidemic i i just hope that more and more people spend more and more time i mean it's kind of a basic answer but yeah it's very extremely important it's dire you know i think uh, one of the things that's good for it is how about like, you uh, is, do you do you do you have you researched a lot of like progress for I haven't, future like, homeless I haven't like necessarily mm -hmm. researched it, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, I've spent a pretty good amount of time, like, uh, hand delivering food, hand cooking oh, meals, wow. um, us like at the podcast, we've done like a bunch of food and jacket drives. And before the podcast, like I used to do work with like Chili's on wheels, which, uh, hands out, uh, plant-based meals, um, at Tompkins square park. And I've had a bunch of different experiences, uh, with, um, people who come and looking for food, looking for drinks, looking for jackets, and a bunch of different, like some of them will come super grateful. You'd be surprised how many people actually need a jacket when it's cold. Because oh. you think like, all right, well, everyone has a jacket if it's cold out. Like even if it's not a fresh jacket, like you have something. Some people straight up don't have something. Yeah. Which was a surprise to me because mm -hmm. uh, we, we did a jacket drive. And I, I honestly thought that like it will help because they have more. But I don't like I think they'll all have one. Some people straight up didn't. And they came like, like couldn't believe that it was free. Mm. But um, some people similar to that guy who punched that guy in the face for putting a jacket on, like they're just not in the in the in the frame of mind that you would expect them to be in. I got into an argument one time with some guy because uh, at, at Chili's on Wheels, we um, didn't have like we didn't have bottles of water. Uh, and I told them that like the bubbler was right there. But I, I didn't mean I didn't mean it in any kind of crazy way. I just was like, you know, sorry, we don't have bottles of water. We have all this food. But and it was like a huge thing. Um, because you never know what kind of frame of mind. And I myself, this was years ago, I got upset. You know what I mean? And that's actually something that I was going to get to is like one of the main things is like having an understanding of where people come from because you're coming at it from like your frame of mind when you don't really know like what their frame of mind is, what day they just had or what day they had yesterday. And then you end up flipping out on them and making the situation 10 times worse when it's like, you know, it doesn't have to really be that way. So my experience with it is uh, I've seen like a few different sides. And I personally, like in terms of this podcast and just like the food drives we've been able to do and the jacket drives, I feel blessed that we can even have the time. Like I consider that a huge privilege to even be like 
let's do a food drive. Like people who have like real legitimate actual problems don't have time to be thinking of let's do a food drive. They're like, yeah. let's do, I need food right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's been uh, super cool being able to do that. And um, that's why I thought it was cool lurking on your Instagram and seeing that just on your day to day, you're doing stuff like that. And I was wondering what experiences you have had um, when you do give out, like, have you had any? Well, one of the things, um, thank you for sharing and telling us, you know, what the, <clears throat> the time that you've contributed to, you know, society and in, in New York in that regard. Thank you. Truly. Uh, a friend of mine has been doing God's love. We deliver, I think once a week for like a decade or once a month, definitely once a month. Um, so, you know, I always praise him for that. Um, I'll tell you a story. One time I was in Los Angeles, maybe 20 years ago, and I was by the Beverly Center and I went to a Walgreens uh, across the street. And there was a woman out front asking for money for food. I said, I'll get you some food inside. And I walked around. I thought, what am I going to get this woman? So I bought a bag of mixed nuts with raisins. I thought, this is pretty healthy. And a bottle of water. I came outside. She was gone. I walked around, heading back towards my parked car. And I bumped into her. And I said, hey, it's me. I got you this bag of mixed nuts and raisins. And she's like, oh, that's really nice. But I ain't got no teeth, baby. And I said, oh, wow. Uh, note to self. So obviously that's not funny, but um, she was laughing about it. And that's why with those snack bars that I have in my bag, you can even like gum them. Mm. You know, you can, if you don't have teeth, you can, you know, if you have enough saliva and like, I mean, that's how basic, you know, not, not basic, but that's, that's why, how I think when I have those in my bag, cause somebody might not have very many teeth left mm. and, and it, they can't just chew on a bag of nuts. So a banana is a great thing. Um, a gentleman I met on the train who is, uh, has his own guitar shop. We bonded on real quick train conversation. He actually texted me after that post about me talking about keeping clean socks and snack bars in my bag. He said, thank you very much, Brian, for, you know, bringing that up on your Instagram. He said, I left the house today and saw three bananas on my counter and thought I should bring those. He's Mm. like, I've always been doing that. So, and in regards to the socks, um, we're, we're in this discussion. I'm not making it about me, but I would like to tell the story, share the story of when I lived in San Francisco for a long time. I lived there 13 years. Uh, one winter I stayed at my friend's mother's house. She went to Mexico and she worked with a nonprofit homeless shelter, a food drive. And she said, Brian, you'd, you'd be surprised. I'm not surprised. But she's like, it's pretty incredible how much joy you see in a homeless person's face when you give them a clean pair of socks. And that always stayed with me. So, um, I mean, can you imagine? Just that's at least one simple, fresh, clean thing to put on your feet that you barely have a chance to wash in whatever sink and whatever, you know, water fountain you might find to, to rinse and clean your feet. So I think, you know, that's huge mm-hmm. for that person. That's huge. And um, also when I lived in San Francisco, because of skateboarding, I get a lot of free clothing. Anything that piled up, I would wash it 
and I would be leaving clean things in piles in areas where I knew homeless people and panhandlers were instead of bringing it to, you know, um, an organization uh, like Salvation Army. Um, uh, not that I have anything against any of those particular organizations. Some of them are great. Some of them I don't know, maybe not so much. But putting it right on the street in San Francisco, that stuff would disappear in minutes. But, you know, yeah, yeah. And then the next day you'd see somebody walking around with your Nike shirt on and think, oh, great. They have a clean shirt. That's that shirt we left, you know? I say we because my friends and I, would we would, all, mm -hmm. we would all do that, you know? Um, and we weren't so broke that we needed to bring our stuff to Buffalo Exchange, you know? And so we'd... We'd leave it out in Hate Street and in the Mission District. And then, you know, just instantly you'd see these people putting the clothes on. And just So that's a way that's to help that's always stuck with me. Because to continue making my skateboarding and trying to be involved in the arts, I try to be always conscious of people on the streets. And uh, that's a way to give back for me directly. You know, Absolutely. When you when you look back on your life and uh, the different phases of your life, different chapters of your life, when you were working like it was seventy hour work weeks as a line cook, when you were yeah, living, there was only a couple of day, a couple couple <laughs> weeks of seventy hours. Uh, I don't, don't want to over glorify the uh, no, but uh, some some work weeks were up to sixty and seventy. Once well, just month. like and yeah, even before, sorry, sorry, I was trying good, to make a good. little joke. But before when before you were a pro skater, yeah, when living in Connecticut mm -hmm. and how. So much has changed since then, I can imagine, uh, and your life within skateboarding and the life you've been able to create through through your skateboarding and like through your art and all this stuff. What comes to your mind when you think about just like the position that you're in now? You're able to be creative. You're able to, you know, like skate and do what you love for a living, which a lot of people don't have the privilege of doing. Um, and when you did uh, work, not that you didn't like cooking, because I kind of get the impression that you did enjoy cooking. I did. I was actually going to go to culinary school before I became a pro skater. So, yeah. So when that's actually something I wanted to ask. Sure. We'll get say to you had not went into pro skating mm -hmm. and say that you had become a cook um, or even any other job, but let's just say a cook. Do you think that you would have been fully satisfied with that in the way that you are with skateboarding? Do you think that you would have able, uh, ever been able to like, hmm, maybe I'll, um, you know, maybe I'll try something else. Maybe this isn't satisfying me. Maybe I'll go further. What do you think about that? You know, because of where I'm at now with my sobriety, uh, I really think that if I had become a, quote, chef for a living as a result of going to school, because of the influence of my sisters and my brothers and uh, their love of reading creating uh crafting and their 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 true sense of family like the holidays mm -hmm. you call them we would make food and all gather right so i really think that their positivity rubbed off on me on a young at a young age so i think i may have found honestly i may have found hard drugs earlier in the world of culinary because people go down that quick that luckily never happened to me when I was working in the kitchen, but I saw it. And so I like to think that if that had happened, if that had been my career, that that had been my different path in life, I think 
I mean, it's strange because it's a completely different life we're speaking about. But so this alternate life I may have had, I think with the friends and family and, and the, the pride I have from being a descendant of my incredible grandfather and my wonderful father and mother and grandparents, all of them, I think I would have had to check myself and, and, and not gone too far with drinking and partying. But I think I might have gotten to the point where I would have like opened a restaurant because I'm very much in tune with attention to detail, signage, uh, comforting. I'm, I'm a host. I'm very much a host, even though I like to work in the kitchen. I even actually um, had a couple shifts where they asked me to be a waiter out front because one of the waiters or waitresses called in sick. And mm. so I knew the menu really well. And <laughs> and I was okay, but I definitely checked on the, the tables way too much. Do you need anything? Do you need yeah, anything? Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think if I had taken that path in life and, and gone to the culinary school in Vermont that I looked at, I loved cooking so much and I learned so much. I loved being in the kitchen. Also, that has a lot to do with being in the closet. You know, you could be really anonymous. You're, you're just focus, focusing on what is in front of you. It's very stressful. You, you have to stay very sharp, very on point when it's the rush. And you have to work with the waiters and waitresses and the maitre d'. And you have to, co you have to communicate. You have to cooperate. You have to be a team. And I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that structure. So I think if uh, if I didn't go into skateboarding the way I did and go to Sacramento and be around my friends and make a sponsor me tape and become sponsored, I think I probably would have stayed working at a variety of restaurants in the New England area. And uh, if I didn't open up my own restaurant, because I know how insane and how brutal that is, because I watched my boss go through it, you know, someone calls out, you have to work. Um, I think, I like to think that I would have skipped around and and built up my skills and learned um, different cuisine from all over the world and become very well learned and, and diverse at cooking different fare of foods from all over the world. And I would have applied it in my own way, uh, kind of like a painter or a writer or a skateboarder or a musician, mm -hmm. you know? So uh, I used to be hesitant to call myself an artist, but when I look at what I do and who I am, I, I can safely say I'm an artist, you know? And I'm an athlete. That used to be a weird word as a yeah, skateboarder. Yeah. But I'm a very, uh, I have a lot of physical power and energy, you know? And I didn't know that about myself, really. And, and um, so I think, yeah, I think I may have been in, in working in a really unique, interesting colorful restaurant and i might have even started my own or mm. maybe some kind of food product um i don't crave fame uh but i'm very comfortable speaking with people so therefore i i could have been in that realm of someone who maybe has their own cooking show uh i don't love hearing myself talk i'm comfortable um over the years of skateboarding i've learned doing lots of interviews and being on lots of photo shoots that uh I'm comfortable meeting new people and uh, sharing, you know, ideas and recipes <laughs> and skateboard tricks. So uh, I say that sort of jokingly, but, you know, when someone asks you, how do you do this? How do you do that? I have no problem sharing and talking if they're a nice person and they're not aggressive. So uh, who knows what I would have done, but 
probably would have been cooking and mm -hmm. then also i loved i used to landscape when i was younger so i love doing manual labor um i'm just built that way you know i'm tall and um i have a very busy mind and uh it's really hard for me to sit still so we can go into that in regards to why i drank the way i did so wait i, I was gonna ask so sure. You said that uh, you know a lot of cooks, or a lot of cooks go down that line of doing of doing drugs and and drinking. Can you yeah. explain? I didn't know that. Well, I mean, it's very common to you know start doing cocaine. You know what I mean? That's a drug that keeps you awake and keeps you going. You know, um, luckily the restaurant I worked at, my boss and all the other guys, you know, it wasn't it wasn't creepy. Nobody was, was far into that. It was more weed and some beers towards the end of the shift, you know. But, yeah, that industry is, unfortunately, you know, notorious. It's brutal. It's brutal, brutal hours. And what can get you through that? An upper, like cocaine. And some people are exhausted and moody and they want to go down and get into, you know, opiates, you know, when they're not on their shift. And then they have to do their own concoction of bringing themselves back up to get to work. And they use an upper and, you know, and, and just alcohol everywhere. Cigarettes, you know, it's a tough, tough uh, occupation. Wow. I had no idea. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what was your experience like with uh, getting into drinking? And I feel like um, it's funny because you say that if, if you were to have followed the line of a cook, the line of a chef, that maybe you would have had to check yourself to to not even get into it easier or quicker in that in that in that field when i thought it was like almost the opposite because i have a lot of friends who you know like we all grew up skateboarding together and so many of them like at age 15 were straight up going to bars getting in somehow and 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 drinking and drinking and a lot of them became like alcoholics and most of them somehow think the universe uh ended up just through themselves, you know, stopping, slowing it down. Uh, one of my, one of my best friends recently just stopped drinking and now he drinks like, I think it's like Heineken's that don't have alcohol in mm -hmm. them, or it's like mm -hmm. some beer that's meant to like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I always thought, yo, it's because of skateboarding. It's because like, this is the culture and everyone's doing this and we're watching these videos and then we want to replicate. And, um, I thought that maybe that it was like skateboarding that was, indirectly like putting us in this path because we're all just chilling all the time 24 7 i thankfully i never got into drinking at all but i seen all my friends would and i was uh, wondering how you started was it through skating or what what happened that you started drinking at first well um i think also it can be very hereditary of course alcoholism runs in people's families um and uh i am certainly not leaning on that but uh, because my father never had a problem that we saw, not that he hit it, but yeah, I can say directly watching my father, he didn't drink excessively. My uncle, his brother, drank much more than he did. And eventually with his family had a discussion and decided it's best he stopped, you know, great man. Um, but so for me, uh, I remember actually, I remember being scared to drink because I knew I was gay, but I didn't know. I just didn't understand it because I came from a big family being gay and, and what I was attracted to, it was really confusing. So I did not want to be drunk in front of my friends mm. and then like 
I didn't know what alcohol did to me yet. I was like 14, thir- you know, 13, 14 year old thinking, well, I, if I drink, what if this comes out? What if I like, like make a pass at one of my friends or something? Um, and then, you know, I remember trying beer at a family picnic. I grabbed a, a bush, a can of bush, went in the bushes, haha. And I drank a couple sips. It was disgusting. Uh, my dad would give me a little, little Dixie cup of beer after he got off work and not to, he wasn't one of those people like, Oh, I watch the young boy have, have a, have a, have a beer. He was like, Oh, you want to try this? Well, good luck. And you know, I probably had the, like a teaspoon and I I never craved it. And never, it wasn't like a daily thing what he did to me. But anyhow, um, by, by about 15, I was drinking beers. Definitely. My, my next sister up is four years older than me. And the next sister above her is four and a half, six years older than me. So they were already, I found alcohol bottles in their closet. Um, You know, my dad always had like a glass of red wine at dinner. Um, My older brother, Peter, drank a lot. Um, And he would just be at family holidays. Um, Never belligerent, jerk, sweet, sweet guy. So luckily that wasn't um, a is not, it's not a bad memory of mine, but for me, yeah, around 15, I started drinking beers and, um, and experimenting with my friends. Yeah. Alcohol. I mean, we didn't have our driver's license yet, so we would get like a 40 and a half pint of, uh, booze, you know, and we'd sit on the train tracks and then go to the Rocky horror picture show. You know, um, I call that place a safe haven. You know, it was, it'd go on at midnight and, um, you know, we wouldn't get obliterated, but um, we would drink. Uh, you could say recreationally and play pool. You know, growing up in Groton, Connecticut, it's what we had was empty parking lots, parking lots to skate in, no skate parks yet. And uh, so by 16, getting my driver's license, my friends and I, yeah, we're still living with our parents. We would go out into state parks and lots of kids in my high school would host keg parties in the woods. And, you know, so it was that wintertime New England young teenage culture, you know, like playing a little music out of the car and getting a 12-pack or 24-pack, splitting it with your friends, um, unfortunately driving home, you know, from that. So at a young age, it was around in my group of friends. But I also saw a few friends take the next step, if you will. Like they smoked pot before I tried it. And I wanted to skateboard with my best friend, Kevin. And and we saw another friend of ours in our town drinking more than we did. And he tried the pot (laughs) before us. And we were like, oh, no way. That's the that's." that's the bad stuff, you know? So, so we kept skating in our drainage ditches and our, our homemade, our ramps we built. And, um, but yeah, by 16, I, I wanted to work. I was working at the restaurant more and, you know, we were allowed to like sneak a beer at the end of the shift. And then my friends and I would go drink beer after in a parking lot and skate in in the heat. And, and so, um, it was always around. It's just later in life. Um, you know, once I became a pro skater and started touring, uh, my friends and I are smoking blunts and drinking beers in the tour van. And 
it i never let it get too out of control because i always wanted to be a good pro skater you know i took pride in knowing when we were going on a tour that those kids were waiting all summer to see our demo and having ed templeton as my boss and my mentor and my peer was fantastic you know he knew that we weren't excessively drinking he we knew that we were never glamorizing it it has been glamorized in skateboarding um i never tried to glamorize it for me i used it in many ways it was what we would call liquid stretch my body was so sore and i could have two beers and not feel so much of the soreness in my knees and my ankles and my wrists and then um for me, it helped me dealing with all, you know, the pain of being gay and being in the closet and being on a tour with people, you know, having straight porn mag images around me. Luckily, I was with a group of people that weren't homophobic because Ed was such an artist, photographer, individual that, you know, Ed was kind of the weird guy and, and we all respected him because he was he's fun. And he's vegan. He never touched a drink in his life. And he knew. And he showed us, like, you guys can enjoy yourselves. Just be respectful to people around you. And uh, therefore, we had, like, my first tour ever for the Toy Machine video, Welcome to Hell. I felt safe. I felt very influenced by Ed's, uh, you know, his outlook on being a professional skateboarder. He always said, you know, Brian, just do the best demo you can unless you're hurt and sign every autograph and enjoy yourself. And I said, thank you, because here I am on my first ever skateboard tour as an amateur, being in this video that's very high, highly regarded, Welcome to Hell, Toy Machine. And um, so I, that was pretty balanced at that point, at that time, my, my drinking, you know. Um, you'd maybe, yeah, I'd have a couple in the afternoon to get my body feeling okay. And um, then drink in the van on the way to the next city. I mean, you're it's not luxurious. You're in a skateboard tour van, you know. You're in a Ford or Dodge, you know, 10-passenger, 16-passenger van, and that's your home. So, um, uh, yeah, we weren't rude to each other. And Ed, you know, could sense that we were respectful to ourselves and to the fans. When did you start realizing that it was, or when did it start becoming an issue or something you wanted to stop doing? Um, in San Francisco, probably like, I'm 45 now, so 15 years ago when I was between 25 and 30, I just drank more because I, around 25, I started coming out of the closet to friends and family. But that pain and confusion was so severe. And then being that alcohol alcoholism is genetic like my uncle and uh, probably my my mother's relatives i can't call them out exactly but grandfathers great grandparents like that major problems with alcohol growing up in the depression and in in maine in the country and you know there's just alcohol everywhere mm. and you know terrible different times and and you know in 1880s you know who knows but um between 25 and 30, I drank more um, just to, yeah, just 
because I was living out of a bag on and saying yes to every tour and loving it, having a lot of fun. But it's in it's in my blood. It, it you know, it was it was the thing that would make me. It's also the other aspect is that uh, I'm kind of a sponge emotionally. So when I'm in a room and there's all these other people experiencing joy and pain, I soak it all up really quickly. And it really, really can bring me really far down when I see someone around me struggling because I'm really sensitive. Mm. I'm very strong, I do believe, but I'm very sensitive. And you have five or six beers, and I stop feeling everybody's pain in the room. My family calls me an empath. A lot of people use that word, but I guess it's a word I'm okay with. I'm very empathetic, mm. you know. And um, so alcohol, uh, I guess help isn't the correct word, but <laughs> I'll say it. It helped that at the time. It soothed that rather. And um, and then, but I, I would always go to the gym after a night of partying in San Francisco. I knew I wanted to stay good on my skateboard. I never wanted to embarrass myself out at a contest or out at the skate spots in the city. I wanted to excel. I wanted to skate good. So, and because I'm Norwegian, Irish, I could drink a lot. And I would also drink a lot of water and I would eat healthy and I would stretch. I have to, I'm six foot four. So, you know, I could take a lot. I could take a lot of pain. I could drink a lot of alcohol. And I also knew when to go home. I knew when to put my friends in a taxi. So I'm not trying to say that's responsible. Um, but uh, I was a full blown functioning alcoholic, hmm. if you want to call it functioning. But, uh, and then, not to shorten that story, but click to last year when I, before my 45th birthday in May, I just was very concerned about my poor organs after all those years, you know, and then not only my husband and my family, but, you know, just everyone and my body. I, I really started apologizing to my body and at the same time thanking my body out loud and all my muscles and all my bones and my lungs and my veins for getting me through life and i said i owe you a favor to my body so it's like i had this massive conversation a year ago with my spirit and yeah my mind my heart and uh and i was addicted i was addicted i had to make sure i had a bottle of wine or more than a six-pack with me when i went to sleep every night and i was like this sucks I'm addicted to alcohol. I have to know when the liquor store opens, you know. I have to know I have enough to get through the night to 10 a.m. to skate to the liquor store. And I was functioning, you know. I would have probably six drinks in me at all times. And uh, I could skate good. I could still call my mother and do all my emails. But then it, there were so many times publicly where it did get out of control. But... um that's skateboarding. That's rock and roll. You know, it's not cool. I don't think that's funny. I don't glamorize it, but I would be at an event and I wouldn't get that wasted drunk until I could tell that everybody was about there. You know, I would, I would keep my composure best as I could because there'd be a lot of people that I call decoys that would be plastered <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'd feel for them. And I'd be like, yo, yo, you got to go to your room. Like, and it goes back to me being a, kind of a, a mom you know I, I really that's my thing um 
And that's why I say I don't crave fame. Uh, I, I just feel comfortable in that world of entertainment. And uh, I like to make sure everybody else is having a good time, sometimes more than myself. So, so you've been, um, and congratulations for being uh, off of alcohol and Thank cigarettes you. for a little bit over a year. And it was like May, end of May, right? It was yes. a, a year. Yeah. So first of all, congratulations. Thank you. It's really awesome to hear thank you. Uh, that you're, you know, doing everything you can to, yeah. you know, thank your own body, thank yourself. And one thing I, I find admirable is thinking about your husband and your family, because it's not just your health. It's also their mental health, knowing that you might be destroying yourself. Like yeah. when I think about my family or like my mom and dad, and if I see them doing anything unhealthy, it's not just them who they're, they're cooking. They're cooking my, my mental state too. Cause I'm like, damn, my, my loved ones aren't going to be around for maybe as long as they could, or maybe their last years are going to be in pain. So that's really cool to be thinking about um, your loved ones in that sense. Um, what was it like uh, just completely stopping? I know you've tried a few times in the past. You weren't able to last as long. What are you doing differently this time? And what's been the process like of just completely stopping? Well, I used to do what I called a wind down. I would buy a gallon of Crystal Geyser and dump a bunch of it out and pour like one and a half bottles of wine in it. And that would be all I could have for the day because my, I called it my levels, my, the alcohol in my body, I call it my levels. So I'd be out with my husband and I'd be like, hold on, babe, we're going to get on the train. I just got to get my levels right and I'm good. So I'd like pop into a bar. I'd grab like a glass of Cabernet, like a glass of red wine. I'd grab another one finish it i'd be like cool feel perfect not sweating not shaking and um so i just have this constant trickle if you will you know like an iv um and uh so what i did was yeah I, I went from however many drinks i was having you know um and it's not pretty it's not cute it's not a fun thing uh you know uh, i'm not glamorizing this i'll say that over and over and i don't care how many times i say it but I was drinking a lot and I was also sweating a lot. Um, so I would get like two, three bottles of red wine and a bunch of white claws, you know, which we, I call them like river beers. They're, they're very low alcohol, you know, and I would still have a sandwich, some chips, a Gatorade, a banana, avocado, all this stuff, you know, here I am like being my own doctor. And um, so what I did was I just, yeah, I didn't actually feel any organ pains necessarily, but I was getting puffy. You know, I could see it. My face was red. Luckily, I didn't experience any jaundice yellowing of the whites of my eyes. You know, I didn't have the gin blossom nose because I was active. But to answer your question, how did I go about it? Um, yeah, I just reduced my amount. So I would buy wine or beer. Uh, at some points I was having vodka at the bar because it's hot out. I'd have like a vodka with pineapple and I knew my levels. I knew my, you know, I'd like, Oh, that's enough. Nope. People would be like, I'll oh, do a shot. Hey, I know that'll get me drunk. I have to stay the way I am right. Even keel. And, um, so yeah, I just would put alcohol on the counter, the bottles of wine, whatever it was. And then I just reduced it over a couple of weeks and my husband could tell I was getting close. And I could feel I was getting close, you know, the sweats and the DTs, the shaking stuff. I mean, I really probably should have gone to a hospital. And it's, you know, 
Um, I'm sorry for people that are listening to this. I, I, I don't think everyone should be their own doctor, if you will, and do it the way I did. Um, it's not this, it's, it's not the safest way, but I strongly believe I know myself. So I'm not recommending anyone try it their own way. You know, if you're in really, really deep, please speak to a family member or someone or call and research and ask for help. And you can wait and find a place if you have to do it with public assistance, you know, you, there are places you can eventually get yourself checked into. And if you're fortunate enough to have health insurance and things like that, then you should go to a, a, a center or rehab, you know. Um, but because I had so much experience stopping in the past, I knew that I had to do it slowly. You can die, mm -hmm. you know, just like opiates. You know, you can die. Like people that quitting opiates, your body can have a stroke. So I was very slow at, at lowering the amount of alcohol every day. And I could feel it because I was in tune with my body. I was no longer extremely drunk. And I could tell that my body was ready. And um, I uh, just, I like a little bit of cannabis to slow, to come down for like um, my nerves but that also kind of makes me a little paranoid at this age in life. Earlier on, I enjoyed that with my friends. And eventually just, I had a lot of meditation and tea and that day on May 23rd in the morning, I knew I, I could tell my body was ready, you know? And also I take a lot of hot Epsom salt baths to sweat out all the poison during that process and, and just mentally prepared myself too. I think, I like to think when you're speaking with your spirit and really, you know, telling yourself we can get through this. I say we as in our body, you know, your mind is my mind talking to my body. That's just how I did it. I never, nobody recommended that. I didn't read it anywhere. It just naturally came to me. You know, I would lay in bed and, and like I said, I started apologizing and thanking my body at the same time for getting me to that point of of jumping down these staircases and rolling and tumbling and smashing and then and then all the depression you know getting me through that and, and i said you know what i'm gonna do you a favor i'm not gonna do this anymore well so, yeah like i said it's amazing that you've been able to do it and all the all the time now that you save and the money that you save i saw I think you have an I just app kind of blurred it out <laughs> yeah because the you, money was astronomical but I, not like, embarrassing i was just like wait sorry but go ahead <laughs> but yeah you save all because i'm generous so i'd be at the bar and like oh i got this i yeah, buy yeah. my friends drinks i share i'm a share and i i'm not pat myself on the back but sorry i interrupted you no it's okay uh yeah now you can just use that for different passions writing painting uh you know different types of art skateboarding hanging out with friends hanging out with family and like it's really cool me sitting in this chair i've had a lot of conversations at this point with a lot of uh, graffiti writers skateboarders and artists who have a lot of them have experienced extreme forms of addiction. And uh, so many of them have come through on the other side, clean with like a clear mind of like what they want and have been, having been able to like experience all different styles of living because of, of what they were addicted to. And it just gives me personally hope because I see how far you can go and then still come back and still be an amazing person and, and still have mad opportunity to do mad stuff. Um, it's honestly beautiful how many 
truly, I don't even want to call it second chances, but for lack of a better term, like how many chances you have in life to do shit when you think it's over, like it's really not over. You can, you can always bring it back. You can, and especially if you're a creative person, there's so much things you have to do. Like you were, you were saying that you've been writing and I also write, um, and that you've been working on a book and stuff like that. And I was actually curious to hear what your process with that is like. Do you wake up every morning? Do you do it at a certain time? How did you start doing it? Is it more of like a journal entry where you wrote what you did during the day? Or do you have separate writings that are just for your book about your life? Like, uh, what's what's the deal with that? Well, um, I'm not trying to plug or name drop. But I was luck- lucky to have these folks at Jenklo and Nesbitt, a publishing agency, start like having meetings and and we're since we're no longer working together um because i just had to keep continue on my skateboarding path and and was dealing with my alcoholism but also um it's my job to be a skater so it's really hard to stop they were nice enough to present me with a ghostwriter and then i met another ghostwriter through a friend of mine and he was great we bonded we hung out we did some like trip we went on a, like a weekend trip together um so and a lot of people say where's the book you've been talking about writing a book and i'm like well my answer is like i feel great because i know i'm not lagging i know i haven't been lazy about it um so and i want to thank the people at jenko and nesbitt for you know giving me the opportunity to start it um and you know they had to continue with their business and you know so that door kind of closed, but it doesn't hurt me. And I don't feel like I blew it because, um, I have a big vision of, of this book. Uh, I sincerely believe it's not about ego because I'm really happy to talk about how grateful I am for my grandparents and my parents and all my siblings. And when you ask about the process of writing the book, uh, I think of, of course, different chapters, and I have so many sketchbooks I've saved over the years from all the tours I've been on. The whole time I was touring and being a professional skateboarder the last 25 years, I would pretty much always have a sketchbook in my bag, you know? So those are filled with uh, bar napkins, um, you know, coasters from an airplane, uh, a bag of potato chips that I know exactly what that means and i used scotch tape and taped it in my sketchbook and then wrote a little note auckland you know sydney whatever so i have all those books uh knock on wood hey papers right in front of me and um and then when i do get flashes of my childhood or memories of any age i i write them down i also use now that we have these phones uh i record my dreams every morning I don't record them every morning. Some days I write them longhand. Uh, and sometimes I just use the particular app and I forget what it's titled, but, uh, and I record, I record a lot in the bathtub. I take a lot of baths, Epsom salt baths, and I bring my speakers and I bring a towel to cover the screen of my phone. And if I think of something, I record it. And, uh, so yeah, I really, as far as the book goes, um, I'm very, very happy to write about another time that people in this current society, you know, younger people especially don't know about unless they research it. 
So, you know, knowing about writing about my mother and father growing up in the depression, you know, and what their parents did to work through the, the great depression and what it was like for my mother and to be pregnant at 20, 21 years old and not married to my father and my father being in the air force at the end of world war two. And, uh, telling my mother he's going to come home and marry her because she's pregnant. And her her mother said, you can't, I'm sorry, you can't live here if you're pregnant and not married. I mean, then my mother had to come to New York, Queens, actually. And she lived with the family. And, you know, I'm not spoiling it, but that's a little bit to give you an idea of what my mother went through. Bless her. You know, she's still alive. And so... um that's incredible. And I know that she doesn't mind. She loves to write. I'm not taking her story. It's part of the beautiful story of why we are who we are. Mm. You know, we come from those two people and the people that gave birth to them. Yeah. So, um, so anytime I get a memory of, yeah, like I said, any age, like could be kindergarten, I'll get a flashback. I'll just write it down or record it. And, um, and then, um, yeah, I, I sort of imagine chapters in my mind. And I'll reconnect with some of the people that were offering to, to help me write a book and, and, you know, thank them all over again. And maybe they can point me in a direction of someone who may want to, you know, partner and work with me. Um, but in the meantime, I'm quite content just writing it all down and knowing that it's there, you know, I'll probably put some of it and work it into a computer and, and, you know, have a hard drive, but that's uh, all lo-fi longhand at the moment. And, um, and I actually recently made a, a book. I made a fake book, fake book. I don't know what to call it. I made my own like book to have and hold and, and imagine it not mm -hmm. to manifest it, but to, to imagine what it, what size it should be, you know, uh, to really will, you know, part of willing it to happen. And, um, and I know you shouldn't, shouldn't think of the cover or the title before it's even written, but yeah, of course those can help you and push you. So I'm thinking of like, who do I want to include, you know, in this story of my life, you know, and, and it, I don't know the book, like a lot of books, I, I'm not a big reader. We can talk about that. But it, it could start when I'm 18 doing something wild like some books do, you know, and then it goes back to childhood, you know. It's, cr it's crazy how so. difficult it is to structure one of those things. And yeah, how much time, sure. yeah. Time and work it really takes. Like yes. I've been trying to write one myself for mm -hmm. a while and I have uh, three full full notebooks of straight writing, like just like no space at all uh, front and back. <laughs> and I thought I was ready and I read over it and I'm like, this is all trash. I can't use any of it. Oh, come on. And, and one of them I actually left in a Greyhound bus. Oh, one whole boy. notebook. And then See, a year, I just mentioned a hard one drive. year later, someone hit me up. They called me and I never answer. And they were like, yo, is this whatever, whatever? And I'm like, yeah, it is. I'm like, who is this? And they were like, I think I have your book. And then they said, and then they were like, meet me at the Greyhound station. And I went and they gave it to me. Like one year, I thought it was gone forever. Wow. So you wrote your so, information in the front of the book? Um, No, they found out what seat I was in and then what. That's incredible. It made no sense because it was incredible. a year later. Wow. It made no sense. But um, they found out what seat I was in. And through that, they found out my name and my phone number um, and where I must have gone. I, I don't really know. But um, something else I wanted to speak to you about sure. is um, technology in terms of the fact that you know, now we have, and you can probably speak to this 
uh, our iPhones, like so much notifications, so many DMs, so many messages, so many emails. It truly is overwhelming. Um, and then the news, the news is constantly coming, coming, coming. And you try to keep up with it, or at least I've tried to keep up with it. And it becomes very repetitive. And uh, it's almost like you're not necessarily gaining any new information for the most part, unless there's like crazy things that happen that you'll find out about, even if you didn't read the news, um, just through sheer word of mouth and just how life works in Instagram. But because of this technology and all of this stuff, there's like a rapid spread of information, which has led to, in my opinion, uh, like more of an open minded society because we just know more about different styles of life mm -hmm. so we're able to like i guess relate more to things that we've never actually experienced it because we've seen just so much online and what do you think about maybe our society as a whole uh changing its like moral code and changing its ethical code and the things that it will and won't consider in terms of like no you you must respect this you must when before there was no respect for anything um, or not, no, no respect for anything, but like now you, you know, everyone's, we have more of like an ethical standard that we're trying to live by. Whereas before that wasn't really that important. Um, and I think it largely is because of our technology and because we're all more open to hearing other people's sides. What do you think about that? And particularly in terms of your life, you talked about in the vice piece, how you didn't feel comfortable a few years ago, you said 15. So maybe it was 20 years ago. Uh, coming out of the closet because you felt it wasn't safe. But now as the, you know, time frame has changed, the society has changed, you felt safer. You felt like maybe your career had been up and running for a little bit. So in terms of just our society changing, do you think that's what has been happening? Do you think our moral framework has changed and improved? What do you think? I think uh, it has improved in regard to the amount of information as you spoke of that's available for ex especially young people first of all to go and research and look up um i think there we're also learning and have learned just in the past two years how dangerous a lot of the social media is and i want to praise the woman i forget her name for being the whistleblower at facebook you mm -hmm. know and learning and telling the world about how they know that young women, especially young women, um, become incredibly self-conscious and depressed as a result of how they are perceived and viewed on social media. And a place like Facebook knows that that's going to keep them on their uh, platform longer because they're going to research cures for how depressed they feel from being presenting themselves on social media. Um, so it's nice that we know that side of, of sort of, um, you know, the, the, who's behind that curtain, you know, the, the puppeteering of it all. Um, and so I think a lot of kids are pretty hip to that. And, mm. and a lot of the new generation of teenagers don't want their picture to be on social media or they don't want to be photographed because they don't like the idea of someone sharing it. So you know, already in the past few years, young people are changing 
their their choices of how they want to be shown or involved and then the other side is that people jump right in you know personally i think that these filters and things where um you know someone can reduce all their wrinkles and uh make their face look all rosy and like you know like cloudy and soft and angelic you know i i, I really wish those things didn't exist um, I think they're, they really, really hurt people because then that person has to go out in the world and people have to see their real face. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. Mm. Um, because, um, yeah, we can all use a filter because it, we took a photo and it's not bright enough and you want to see a word better in the picture. Sometimes I do that. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but it's like that aspect of altering and Photoshopping to that extreme level where yeah, someone has this totally fake face that doesn't look like them. It's really unhealthy, obviously. Mm. You know, it's dangerous. And, um, but uh, personally, what I do um, in regards to the news, the social media, um, I don't know. I guess you're asking how I deal with it. Um, First of all, I would like to thank everybody that follows me on Instagram. And I think most people understand that it's pretty much impossible for me to check every single DM, every link. You know, I love all my friends and I'm so fortunate to have so many friends. But because we have these phones and all these people have our phone numbers, everybody's like, check out this link. What do you think of this? You know, a lot of my friends... I love them all again, but because I'm who I am with them as their friend, they know they can come to me and I will listen. But then you get into where you have to create boundaries for yourself and let your friends know you still love them. So there's aspect of that's that aspect of working with your friends and letting them know um, that you want to give them your time, but you only have so much time and you won't be able to be the best friend you can be if you just give all your time to everybody. <laughs> you, then you can't even help yourself. We know this. But um, I have a rhythm. I have a process uh, personally with the phone. Um, in Jackson Heights at our apartment, we have a television in the living room that has all those features like um, uh, what's the thing with the CD that comes in the mail? Um, Netflix. And it has like HBO. My husband knows how to work all that. There's three remotes. He has to f send me a video of how to do it. I don't really go into that television that's in our living room. Um, I have a television in the bedroom I've had for a while. It's not very large, maybe two feet across, a foot and a half tall. And I just have an antenna with channel seven. Or it gets like four channels, but I have channel seven. So sometimes I'll turn that on in the morning because I want to know if there's a parade in New York City, what crime may have happened, um, and the weather, the trains, the transit. And I want to be aware of what people are going through in society in a big city like New York in the five boroughs. I want to walk out of my shirt not wearing a funny t-shirt that's simply not funny that day because mm. something just happened, you know, and you're going to go on the subway with a joke t-shirt that's going to really bum people out, especially that day, day because of what happened the night before. So that's a little bit of how I look at the news a tiny bit, not every day at the house. My new practice, uh, 
is when I wake up in the morning, I read that it's great to drink a pint of water right away. And so I do that while I turn the coffee on and I set my alarm or wake up on my own internal alarm and I leave myself at least 20 minutes or a half hour to where I know I don't have to look at my phone. Mm. So when I wake, if I have to be out of the house, I'll give you an example. If I need to be in the city at 11, I leave my house at 10, the apartment at 10. So I'll get up at 7. So from 7 to 7.30, I don't look at my phone. I drink the pint of water. I turn on the coffee. I'm lucky enough to have a banana, maybe some vegan yogurt. Put something in my stomach. Let that water go down. Make my coffee. And then I lay on the floor in my living room on my back. As I said, I'm a tall guy. been skateboarding a long time. And after sleeping sideways on the bed or the couch, it's important to stretch my vertebrae out. And so that's the first thing of the day, self-care through what I'm ingesting, you know, a glass of water and then physical care by laying on the ground for five minutes, maybe 10 minutes and just moving my hips around and letting my vertebrae spine readjust. And then I'll open my phone. I'll see what's most important. I'll consider time zones with friends who may have texted me from California or overseas and decide when I should respond to that. Uh, I often write a list uh, for the day. Uh, I stick two different color post-its to each other. And, (laughs) um, you know, I have tons of lists always. And oftentimes I will, if I haven't already watched my favorite late night shows, which are like Seth Meyers or Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel, and I actually like Jimmy Fallon now. His his writers are kind of funny. You know, he's, he's, he's pretty funny. I used to not care for him, but... So that's part of the way I take in news so that we can know what's going. So I can say, I say we, as in like society, um, my pronouns are he, him. So when I say we, I'm not saying they, them about myself, but um, I was recently like, is that a thing? Do people say we, but um, so, so uh, I, I read the regular news that's in the little Apple news box in my phone usually starts off with the terrible invasion of Ukraine and and recently these terrible, horrific shootings. And um, I, I take that in, you know, because it happened. It's mm. sad. It's important, I think. Some people choose to not look at all that stuff because it really, really, really brings them down. Um, and some days I don't look at it. I scroll past it. Because like you said, you know, we know it's going on. And and some days, yeah, you got to protect yourself. And because you've been a good person to pay at least a little bit of attention a few days a week, you should probably give yourself a break that day if you're so lucky to. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? If you don't live in that town where that horrific event just happened and you're not out, you know, helping with everybody that's recovering from this event, you know, from these murders and wherever it may be. So my process is to look at the news glance a little bit. And then I will go down into what I call the soap opera of like, uh, you know, that family from Calabasas that has their reality show. It starts with a K and um, and the husband that, that left. Um, and uh, because that's pop culture and I'm involved in pop culture, it's interesting to glance at that life, that, that wild life of that level of fame and uh, 
and fortune. Um, so it's interesting to observe. I don't judge. I just observe, I say. And then I get into maybe some uh, music in my news feed and a little bit of fashion. And that's healthy, I think. I like to see what artists are putting out a new record, you know. And I like to, sometimes I'll buy it, go buy it off my iTunes or yeah, the Apple Music. So at least I'm spending $9.99 hopefully can support that artist. Mm -hmm. And um, and I don't look at Instagram. Uh, I very, and I, I, I don't want to sound insanely self-centered, but I do that to protect myself. My way of Instagram is when I'm about to make a post, the first three or four friends that might pop up, I say, oh, and I look and I see what they're doing. And then I say to myself, let me focus on my post because I have very busy days. Mm. So I want to get all my words right and use an ampersand instead of A-N-D and all this stuff, you know, because I'm, I like to pay attention to the way it's written. And... um if I wonder how a friend of mine is doing, I text them instead of going on their Instagram. Um, just because I'd rather do that. Um, sometimes I will, but when I go into the world of Instagram, into that app, and I think, how is my friend Eric Anthony, for example, from Portland, Oregon? I love Eric. He used to work at Girl Skateboards and Four Star. Another person who uh, put down the alcohol. He's a great person. And I just will send him a text and say, hey, I woke up and I was thinking about you. So when I think about you, I send you a text. How are you? I miss you guys. I hope your family is well. And let's have a phone call soon, please. And then um, I will maybe like tap and glance at a couple of my close friends just to check in. But what happens to me with Instagram, I see other painters and skateboarders. And I... It never diminishes my uh, drive, but it messes with it. You can easily start to think like somebody's already painted that. That's already been written. That's already been done. And if you get in far into that K-hole, it can interrupt your productivity. And what was going to, what was about to come out of your mind naturally might get interrupted. So forgive me to all the people that follow me for not checking every single DM and all this stuff. But um, I'm fortunate enough to have a bunch of people that care and are interested in what I present to the world. And I value them and appreciate them. But with my family of 13 siblings, my 92-year-old mother, my husband, my friends outside of the, the, the apps, I want to make phone calls. I want to, and then in my, I just get endless texts all day long. I've never had an office. Everything goes through that phone. Mm. So I am trying to make a little uh, desk in Jackson Heights where I use a laptop. I have one, a laptop. I haven't opened it since I stopped 3D skateboards, which was six years ago. Mm. Wow. I've, I never used that thing. I wouldn't even you. I wouldn't even know how. I had to bring it to Apple and go. Does this work? I think it's a MacBook Pro. Probably spent some money on it. Tell me, you know. That's that's my technology, you know. So and um, my my Instagram is YouTube. I go there and I watch interviews with old bands from before cell phones, and that brings me back down to a different time and it educates me about how people made records and studios. And uh, on that note, when I'm filming and trying to get tricks to make a new video part, it's like I'm recording my own record, you know? And so that's my studio. 
and I have to I have to stay there. You know, if I get lost and just stay scrolling, 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 I'm I'm not going to make my art. You know, and I'm fortunate that people want to see. Oh, where's your paintings? It's like I have to stop. I have to stop doing what I'm doing and going to airports and flying and being at these events in order to make these paintings mm -hmm. and write this book. So that's um, a little bit of everything. That's my approach. I hope I didn't run on too much there, but no, that uh, was that was really cool. I, yeah, I, I, I want to start doing that. I want to start doing like the 30 minutes of no. No Instagram in the morning because that's something that I do that I feel like a lot of people do. The yeah. first thing they do when they wake up is, Understandable. is check the phone. And like I have consciously written that I'm going to stop doing this. Maybe I'll stop for like a day or two. And before you know it, I'm back in the I'm back in the pattern because like especially with the podcast and like my phone and I check and and that's why I'm saying I can't imagine your level because I feel like I get an influx of texts, an influx of emails, and an influx of direct messages. So with your with your following, I can't even imagine it. I would have to sit in like serious meditation every day to like find some sort of balance between this. You know what I mean? I wouldn't get tricks. My job is to be a professional skateboarder, yeah. and in order to warm up, get my legs ready, and the state of mind, the frame of mind, cops, someone in a wheelchair in a crosswalk, an old lady or an old man that you don't want to crash into. There's all these things you have to think about when you're out skateboarding, you know, and you have to focus um, in order to not crash into these people yep. or get arrested or get yelled at. And, you know, and I'm sensitive. So and a big part, too, is, man, I feel so fortunate that I even know how to skateboard. So um, thank the stars for music. You know, when I'm on the train. Obviously, like most of us do, we have different music for different moods, different times of year, even different times of day. And uh, excuse me, I allow I don't say allow myself. I, I yeah, I, I I tell myself, hey, go back into the music, you know, because you thought enough today, Brian, you know, in my mind, I'm like, you, you, you were conscientious and, and you called your mom and you checked in on all your friends via text and you did that for like. 45 minutes already this morning back and forth and back and forth in a great way all right i gotta go okay i gotta go oh my god that's funny oh cool oh your dog did that last night oh my god that's so funny it's i do more texting than than going through instagram mm. um and and then yeah and i have i'll tell you something i made a joke about cool kids with the long string white headphones um but i prefer those because I'm, I'm first of all scared to lose those earbud ones because <laughs> I ride the subway so much mm -hmm. if those fell on the tracks I'd be like no wouldn't we all so I carry the ones with the cords the white apple ones and um, that's also a sign of maybe I don't want to talk to you and I don't mean that to be rude mm -hmm. um, actually I have a friend that works at the Supreme New York store and he told me there's a woman who's deaf and she goes into the store with those white cord headphones um, because that's a that's a sign that's a sign in our society that some people pick up on as Oh, that person's listening to something, you know, it's not, I'm rude. F you don't talk to me, but so uh, I prefer those. And, um, and then sometimes when I see someone enter a subway car who is about to, uh, I don't want to say pitch, but about to share their situation. Um, you know, I, I, I feel sometimes like a jerk, honestly, is the first word that comes to mind having, even having this phone. So I'll put it in my pocket sometimes, and I draw on the train a lot with a. I carry a pen and a 
paper in my back pocket. Um, I don't really give out much money on the train, just those bars I bring. And I, I have some tattoos on my palm, on my left palm. And a lot of times when people who are panhandling or telling you their life situation, they see, you know, because a lot of people want money for drugs and alcohol. And I just don't want to give money for that. You know, it's tough. And so they see me drawing and they see maybe the tattoos on the palms of my hand and my dirty skateboard. And they go, that dude doesn't have anything. And they, they pass by, you know, but sometimes, you know, I will have change ready. Um, I mean, I don't mean to judge everybody's in favor of somebody. I don't like to favor some person more than the other. But if I see a man or a woman that has straight up no legs and is walking through the subway on their knuckles with a coffee can, I'm like, oh, man, let me get some yeah, change. Course, you know, yeah. you're just like heartbroken for that struggle. Um but again, not that that makes it any different from another person's uh, situation. Um, but yeah, music is a big, big help. I'm very, very grateful for all the music that exists and and having vision and all my senses. You know, uh, I'm so fortunate that I can walk and write and you know uh, get get my feelings out in that way. You know, by being physical and also writing and listening i'm so thankful to have all those senses again well i want to say thank you thank you for coming here of coming course. on the show and, and and uh it was honestly an honor for me to have you on the show i really enjoyed this conversation i feel like a lot of people can take a lot of good stuff from me i myself a few little like mental notes i made of habits i'm going to change or just a little improvements i want to make in my life that were inspired by this conversation so thank you again for coming on the show of it was, course it was amazing welcome. man Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Peace. Yes.